Today's Gospel is from Luke, Luke 14, verses 25 to 33. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, Everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able... He will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. The gospel passage this morning is such a hard word especially for the contemporary church here in America. And even though Jesus is using hyperbole in his speech to prove a point about discipleship, it does little to lessen the blow for what this passage has for us today. Because we are urged to hear. We are urged to move. Because we are so used to hearing a, a comforting word of grace that tucks us in and lets us know that everything is going to be just all right. And we are used to using past tense language of salvation, like words like saved, as if we were under some kind of contractual agree agreement with God. And we are have so emphasized faith apart from what we do and how we live that faith itself has become so abstract that it is easily dismissed in our everyday life. But Jesus here gives us a massive wake-up call in this text. Whoever comes to me 
and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple. I mean, hearing this is enough to make you shrink back just a little bit and ask, what in the world is going on here? What is Jesus asking of me? First off, he's not asking. He's demanding. And if you can't meet the demands of Jesus, he says, you are not worthy to be my disciple. As the old preacher said, the love of God is absolutely free. But it will cost you everything. And people who say that Christianity teaches family values have obviously never read the Bible with their eyes open. Because our culture emphasizes, or at least it used to, the values that place uh, the family upon the pedestal in the inner circle. And from there, the, the attachment grows for love of the community, for love of the state, love of the nation, and, well, hopefully national leaders hope that it will grow to full-blown patriotism. But this is not what Christianity teaches. In another text, Jesus' family comes to, to get him, to take him back home, because they think he's lost his mind. They think he's crazy. And the people say to Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here. And Jesus says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? But they who hear and do the will of God. Jesus moves us on the, the narrow limits of family values to include a much larger family of followers of Christ. God's family. You know, it's really appalling when you hear Christians talk so horribly about immigrants. Because the Bible has a lot to say about those of the family who are from a different homeland. And they are to be welcomed as one of us. And we should do well to remember the passage from Revelation that tells us of the gathering before the Lord made up of a people that could not be counted from every nation and from every language. How would a commitment to Christ change the way that we think about the world and the people in it? I uh, presided over a funeral some years back where the family was, they were just angry. Angry as they could be at two of the sons. You see, they were missionaries in uh, what could only be described as uh, very remote areas. It took almost three days to get a message to them that their father had passed. It took them a week to get home. And the family could not understand how their commitment as missionaries would lead them away from their family obligation. They never married. Their only life they had 
was that calling as a missionary. My trip to the funeral was the first time they had been home in over 10 years. And in talking to them, you could tell that they were deeply saddened that they couldn't be there to help take care of their father. But you could also tell that their commitment to their work had long outweighed their commitment to their family. And one family member is so angry that they had put what she called strangers before their real family. It was a hard word and extremely difficult to obey. It's like the preacher who told his wealthy and affluent congregation, if you cannot heed the word of Christ, then renounce your baptism. The gospel lesson this morning is a hard lesson. It gives us a hard gut check to consider the cost of what it means to follow Christ and decide if we're willing to pay that high price of discipleship. Because what it comes down to is who holds the number one spot in your life? Is Jesus the center of your existence, or is he on the periphery where he, he is barely noticed? Being a disciple of Jesus Christ means that you are living your life for Christ on a daily basis. And, and John Calvin is going to get real practical with the details of this text. And seeing how the uh, Christian is to use this text in the everyday. And he sees four points of intersection between Christ's uh, teaching and our lives. They are self-denial, cross-bearing, meditating on eternal life, and the proper use of gifts in everyday life. Self-denial by itself seems to be counterintuitive, but it's actually the grace of God setting us free from a self-centered existence. In terms of family values, our culture asks us to kneel down and worship at the altar of family, but our faith teaches us to kneel down with our families at the altar of Christ. And we can only do this from a life of self-denial that frees us to love God, to love neighbor, and even to love our families with our whole selves. You see, sin has created a self-centered existence focused upon fear and scarcity. But self-denial enables us to turn from ourselves, to actually see each other, to see Christ working in our lives. Self-denial is the grace of God turning us out so that we might fully dedicate our lives to being his disciples. Disciples that find love and faith abundance rather than the self-centered narrow-mindedness of fear and scarcity. In cross 
Well, false bearing is a facet of self-denial in which bearing the cross will keep you from many of the world's altars. As Jesus points out, family itself can be an altar that keeps us back from being his disciples. And he says that we cannot be his disciples if family is above him. Our political ideology is certainly an altar that we worship at. When we allow our political views to influence our faith, when it should be the other way around, that it should be our faith resting upon the teachings of Christ that define our political views, which should be grounded in the justice of God. What altars do you worship at? What altars keep us from picking up the cross of Christ? Because bearing the cross will teach us patience as we become obedient to God rather than tossed to and fro from the windy currents of culture and politics. And bearing the cross will keep us from the sinking sands of religious traditionalism that always, always assumes the knowledge of God on an infinite level. I'm always right, and I am never wrong. I wish that were true. The cross-bearing is about following Jesus armed only with the knowledge of love. A love that is dependent and obedient on the love and compassion of Christ himself. And meditating on the on eternal life, again, that seems to be extremely counter to the ideas of faith in the here and now. My first thought was that Calvin, well, of course, he's following along that Reformed tradition seeing the body as a prison for the soul and eternal life will set us free. But Calvin uses this meditation practice on eternal life to allow us to really position ourselves in the bounds of good discipline and right priorities. Knowledge that physical death is coming allows for deep introspection how we are living this life right now. It gives us direction and purpose as we see this life through the transformative power of the resurrection, allowing us to live for Jesus right now. And then, of course, this leads very nicely into the proper use of God's gifts for the everyday. We give all that we are and all that we have for His purpose and His will. Self-denial, cross-bearing, meditating upon eternal life allows us to see all that we are. It allows us to see the gifts that God has given. And we are called to be good stewards of what God has given to us. In everything, we look to God's calling and God's purpose.
even in the smallest details of our lives. And what it boils down to is Christians are called to be disciples. And we are called to share the mind of Christ in ourselves and with each other. This is not just a religious experience. It is reordering our lives so that we might grow in our faith to the point that we become in sync with Christ. This is not about what we do on church on Sunday morning. It's about what we do out there on Monday morning. And Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, personally addresses two women, Euodia and Syntyche, who seem to be at odds with one another. Have you ever been at odds with another person? Well, translators have a, a difficult time with the word phonio because it has so many possibilities in English. And many translators opt for the practical approach for Philippians 4.2 and will say something like this. I plead with Euodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord or to live in harmony in the Lord. The NRSV and the NIV, they are dynamic translations, which means they try to capture uh, the thought and the spirit of the text. And they read, I urge you, Lord, and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind of the Lord. And the way Paul uses this word in other places is way beyond practical application of behaving like a Christian. So that a, uh, it goes to the point where he is asking that the person grow to maturity in their faith and employ the mind of Christ as a way of life. Not just in behavior, but in all that you are. Which is what Paul is urging for these two women. Listen to the words of Paul in the second chapter of Philippians. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy that make my joy complete, be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Have you considered the cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ? 
see any differences or disagreements that we have with each other take on a whole new meaning when we consider such a thing as being clothed in the mind of Christ. As Paul says, there is no Jew or Gentile. There is no slave or free. There is no male or female. For we are one in Christ. As the old preacher said, the love of Christ is absolutely free. But it will cost you everything. Have you considered the cost? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.